Well, good morning. Welcome to our Sunday School Hour. We're going to start with hymn sheet number 178. We'll sing the first and the last verse of the Bible stands, hymn number 178. The Bible stands like a rock undaunted midst the raging storms of time. Its pages burn with the truth eternal, then they glow with the light sublime. The Bible stands, though the hills may tumble, it will firmly stand when the earth shall crumble. I will plant my feet on its firm foundation for the vine. Stands. The Bible stands, every test we give it, for its author is divine. By grace alone I expect to live it and to prove it and make it mine. The Bible stands, though the hills may tumble, it will firmly stand. Her shall crumble, I will plant my feet on its firm foundation, for the Bible stands. Well, good morning. Welcome to Sunday School at Long Hill Baptist Church here in Trumbull, Connecticut. Glad you could be with us this morning. Uh, take your Bible, please. Turn to uh, the book of Colossians. We'll continue a new study this morning in the book of Colossians. As you're turning there, uh, I got excited about the song again this morning. The Bible stands like a rock undaunted uh, mid the raging, raging storms of time. Of course, we're in a storm, a difficulty, a time of trial today. Uh, and nonetheless, uh, of the Bible, we could say its pages burn with truth eternal, and they glow with the light sublime. The Bible stands Though the hills may tumble, it will firmly stand when the earth shall crumble. I will plant my feet on its firm foundation, for the Bible stands. Praise God this morning for the Bible, for the Word of God, uh, for the eternal and unchanging truth that the Lord has revealed to us in His Word. And so this morning, I hope that you will uh, take up your Bible here in Colossians chapter 1, uh, and partake of these God's words, the living word of God, so wonderfully translated for us in our King James Bible. This morning, I want to continue uh, here in Colossians chapter 1. We'll see four things this morning, four main ideas. Paul, of course, has been praying here in uh, the first part of the book of Colossians. If you look back at verse 9, he says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. Uh, Paul was a man of great prayer for the churches that he uh, had a relationship with, many of which, of course, he planted or had some role in that. Uh, he was a man of great prayer for all the people of all of those churches. We'll revisit that idea uh, in the next hour in the second half of Ephesians uh, chapter 1 this morning. So we see Paul praying, uh, and we come down to verse 12. He's giving thanks unto the Father. Remember, Jesus taught us to pray to the Father. So Paul here is giving thanks unto the Father. And then we'll see Paul go on, and he'll, he'll list a number of things that he's thankful for. And really, in this passage, it, the focus is benefits of salvation uh, in Christ. So you'll see first this morning, uh, Paul's gratitude for uh, many of the benefits of our salvation. Uh, the fact that those of us that have 
turned from sin to Christ, uh, humble repentance, uh, and placed our faith in Christ, acknowledging that we are sinners and he is the Savior, uh, placing our faith in his death, his burial, and his resurrection uh, as the only means of forgiveness, we're saved. And that salvation comes with being saved from the consequence of sin, most certainly including the consequence of hell. But there's many other benefits, and we'll see that here this morning. Uh, we'll see Paul's gratitude that those benefits come because of Christ. They're made possible by Christ, and uh, he shares some truths about Christ. We'll see those this morning. We'll see Paul, Paul's response to these things. Of course, he prays, he's grateful for these truths, uh, but his response is to minister these truths to others, and then we'll see his power, uh, his power to minister these truths. So uh, that's our outline this morning. Let's just jump in right here uh, in verse 12 this morning, uh, benefits. Paul prayed prayers of gratitude for the many benefits of our salvation in Christ. Uh, ask you to make a list here. And I want to encourage you, I always do, uh, have a notebook, have a pen and paper, and, and get some of these things down. So before more, four main points this morning, and a number of, of points under each main point. So number one, Paul, uh, he was grateful. He prayed prayers of gratitude uh, for the benefits of salvation. Under that uh, point, number one, that we are partakers of the inheritance of saints that we are partakers of the inheritance of saints. Uh, we are joint heirs with Christ this morning, uh, and there are many benefits that the Father uh, has bestowed, is bestowing, and will bestow in the future uh, in, in the fact, uh, in, in uh, reflecting the fact that we are joint heirs with Christ. Well, look at verse 12. He says, Paul says, he's giving thanks unto the Father, uh, God the Father, uh, he writes now, which hath made us meet to be, uh, or appropriate to be, uh, now be appropriate to receive these benefits because of our relationship with Christ, our faith in Christ, the fact that we've been saved through our repentant faith in Christ. Uh, the first thing here, we are made partakers of the inheritance of the saints in life. Uh, so we're partakers, we're recipients of, of something. What? Well, it's good to ask yourself those questions. What is, who is he talking to? What is he talking about? Well, partakers of something, the inheritance of the saints in light. Uh, I've already said this morning, there are many things that, that we are, uh, are inheriting and, and will inherit uh, in Christ uh, because of uh, our relationship to him. We have uh, the hope of heaven. We have eternal rewards to look forward to. We have the certainty of the resurrection of our bodies uh, unto perfection. Uh, these things are for those who are called saints. We see that word, verse, uh, sorry, that word here uh, in verse 12. And I, I explained this recently. Uh, biblically, uh, saints are not people who have been recognized and voted upon by some church authorities. These are simply saved people, uh, people who occupy a position of holiness. Saint, uh, to be a saint has the, that idea uh, because our, our sins have been covered uh, by the blood of Christ uh, in light. So we're partakers of the inheritance of saints, the many various blessings uh, including the certain hope from heaven uh, because of Christ. Number two, uh, Paul says that we have been delivered from the power of darkness. 
We see this here in verse 13. So uh, number, number two, under benefits of salvation, uh, Paul prayed uh, grateful prayers for the fact that in Christ we have been delivered from the power of darkness. See this in verse 13. Uh, he's, he's writing of Christ here, uh, who hath uh, made, forgive me, I get excited, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, uh, who has delivered us from the power of darkness. Now, this is contrasted with light uh, at the end of verse 12. And we understand that uh, we have spiritual light as believers. Uh, the Holy Spirit gives us spiritual light, spiritual understanding. Uh, he enlightens our understanding of spiritual things. Uh, if Also, if you look back in verse 11, you see uh, this, this phrase here in verse 13 uh, is contrasted. Verse 13 is, is contrasted with verse 11 also. Uh, so in verse 13, we see that we're delivered from the power of darkness. Uh, that's contrasted with verse 11. Uh, he says there that we've been strengthened with all might according to his, glor his glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. So there's a power of darkness. There's a satanic power uh, that Satan uh, enjoys today for a time. God is permitting that. Uh, the demons have a power that God is permitting them to uh, have and to exercise today. We understand that in a very real sense, before we were saved, uh, we were under the power of darkness. There was a satanic influence uh, in our lives that is no longer the case. We have been delivered from the power of darkness. Uh, we now have a spiritual light from the Lord, and we have been strengthened, according to verse 11, uh, with all might, according to the Lord's glorious power. This is very interesting to see uh, the, the comparisons and contrasts. We, uh, we were under the power of Satan. We're, we've now been strengthened by the power of God. We were very much living in spiritual darkness. We're now very much living uh, with spiritual light from the Lord. These are wonderful blessings. Uh, don't lose sight of these things. These, these are wonderful blessings, uh, wonderful benefits of our salvation. Uh, in Acts 26 and verse 18, I'm only going to be there for a minute. You can turn there or just listen. Uh, back in Acts 26, uh, Paul was giving his testimony or a portion of his testimony to King Agrippa. Uh, and he shared what Christ said to him when he was saved regarding the purpose or the ministry that Paul had received from Christ. There in Acts 26 and verse 18, Jesus says uh, that Paul's ministry purpose, having been saved, is to open their eyes, to open the eyes of the lost, and to turn them from darkness to light, from spiritual darkness to spiritual light, and from the power of Satan unto God. So these, these are ideas that are, are recurring. Uh, this idea that we're uh, in Christ, we're, we're brought out of the power of Satan uh, by the power of God. Uh, we're brought out of spiritual darkness into spiritual light. Paul understood directly from Christ that that was his ministry, to bring people from one place to another place. Uh, Jesus continued there in Acts 26 that they, or so that they may receive forgiveness of sins uh, and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Jesus was speaking uh, in him. So uh, here in this passage, Paul is his conveying, he, he's relaying in a very real sense 
what Jesus had said to him uh, when he was saved. And of course, it's the Holy Spirit who's leading Paul to share these things now that he had been taught directly from Christ. And what a privilege we have to know these things. Uh, the third thing we see, the third benefit of our salvation uh, that, Christ, uh, that, that Paul was grateful for, uh, the third thing we've been, uh, according to the Bible, here's Bible language, we've been translated into the kingdom of God. Get that down, please. We've been translated into uh, the kingdom of God. So we understand the idea of, of the, world tra uh, the word translation it has the idea of being transformed, uh, sort of like the idea of, of translating uh, a language. You may translate from one language to another. It can also, this word, the underlying word, can also have the idea of being taken from one place and placed into a new place, or, or taken from one state or condition and moved into another state or condition, uh, translated in that sense. Well, here's, here's the verse in the next part of verse 13. Uh, here's the language. He says, we, uh, we've been, we have, he hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Uh, he, he hath, God the Father has translated, transformed, or placed us into the kingdom of his dear son. Well, what kingdom is that? Here, I believe uh, Paul is referring to what has elsewhere been called the kingdom of God, uh, which is really just a way of referring to people who've been saved. Uh, the kingdom of God uh, is a biblical way of referring to people who have been saved. Uh, it could include uh, people been saved in the Old Testament, people saved in, in the New Testament. Uh, th those before the cross were saved by looking ahead to the Messiah who would come and uh, placing their, their belief, their faith in him. Uh, those of us who are saved today are saved by looking back to the cross and placing our faith in Christ who came. Uh, no matter the, which side of the cross uh, someone was saved on, uh, the Bi there's this Bible idea that they've been placed into the kingdom of God. So uh, we, uh, one of the benefits of our salvation is that we've been translated or transformed or placed into the kingdom of God, the, uh, the realm of salvation. And I would take care this morning, this is Sunday school, so we spend just a moment on this. Uh, I would take care to, to distinguish the kingdom of God from the kingdom of heaven. Very often it's been taught, uh, and if you read commentators, uh, often it's been taught, these are the same thing, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. I think the Lord uses different language for different reasons. There's a distinction. Uh, the kingdom of God is a reference to saved people, people who have been saved. Uh, the kingdom of heaven, uh, I think, is just that. It's a reference to the kingdom of heaven. Uh, we look forward to the millennial reign of Christ on earth. Uh, he, our king, uh, during that time. So kingdom of heaven is a reference to heaven. It may allude to the millennial reign of Christ during the, the thousand-year millennium uh, as well. In any event, uh, one of the benefits of our salvation is that we have been translated into the kingdom of God, the realm of salvation. Uh, we have a king. Uh, we are in the kingdom of God. We are his people, uh, and we have Christ as our king. Don't lose sight of, of what an extraordinary thing that is. We have the Lord Jesus Christ as our king. The creator of all things is our king. We are his people. We are the beneficiaries of uh, his benevolent kingship, if, if you will. 
Uh, we have the hope uh, of the kingdom of heaven because of that. And that's really the connection uh, between the, the ideas of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Because we've been placed into the kingdom of God, the realm of regeneration, we have the hope of the kingdom of heaven. And what a great hope that is. Uh, we're struggling this side of heaven. We're dealing with things like plagues, like global pa pandemics, and all the practical challenges that come with that. But our hope is to be uh, experiencing one day the kingdom of heaven with Christ our King. And that is a certain and wonderful hope indeed. Uh, look here in number four now, in verse 14. So get this down, number four. Uh, we have redemption through his blood, uh, one of the benefits of our salvation. We have been redeemed through his blood is, is the language. See this here in the beginning of verse 14. The Bible says, Paul says, uh, in whom we have redemption through his blood. Uh, so again, get it down. Number four, we have redemption through his blood. This is one of the benefits of our salvation uh, in Christ. We have Today, we possess redemption. Uh, kingdom of God, we're in it today. Because of that, we have the hope of the kingdom of heaven. But today, because we're in the kingdom of God, uh, we, we've been redeemed. We've been redeemed through his blood and thereby placed into uh, the kingdom of God, the realm of regeneration. Now, let's look at these words just quickly. Uh, redemption, uh, to redeem, is to purchase. Uh, and the idea here. Uh, would, it's the, the word would have been familiar to those in the first century who were living uh, there under Roman rule. Uh, many people, of course, were slaves, uh, but a slave could be purchased out of servitude uh, and given freedom. Uh, a slave could be purchased out of the consequence of having been sold into servitude uh, to an owner. Uh, we have been uh, made partakers of light and delivered out from the power of darkness. We have been purchased in a very literal sense by Christ uh, with his blood being the, uh, the currency of this transaction, uh, his death, his burial, his resurrection. Uh, he has purchased us out from the condition in which we were in uh, and having purchased us out of servitude uh, to the power of darkness uh, and placed us into the kingdom uh, of God, we've been redeemed, we've been purchased, we've been bought back, we've been uh, bought back and released from the consequence of our previous state, our previous condition. Please don't miss, please don't miss here in verse uh, 14 that this, this transaction has been made through or by his blood. This is the currency of this transaction. Uh, there is an absolute necessity of a blood sacrifice. Of course, we see that pictured in the bloody sacrifices of the Old Testament. Uh, all the way through the Old Testament, we see sacrifices. We see the necessity of blood and, and God the Father only being approached, whether it was in the tabernacle or whether it was later in the, in the temple, there had to be a place of blood sacrifice through which one could approach, uh, the priest could approach uh, the, the special presence of God. And this is by blood. Ephesians 1 and verse 7 says, uh, speaking of Christ in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. It's not something that we've earned. It's, uh, it's unmerited favor of God. It's, it's, it's grace. 
Uh, Acts 20, 28 refers to the church of God, uh, which he, Christ, has purchased with his own blood. Uh, his blood is the currency of this transaction. Praise God for a Savior who was willing to allow his blood to be shed that we might be purchased back through that transaction which occurred at the cross. Hebrews 9 and verse 12 says, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption, an eternal buyback, uh, a, a redemption with eternal uh, purpose and e eternal uh, certainty uh, for us. So this redemption by his blood. Uh, number five, we have the forgiveness of sins. Number five, the next part, number five, get that down, please. We have the forgiveness of sins. Uh, in all of this, having been redeemed by the blood of Christ, bought back from the penalty of sin, uh, the consequence of sin, uh, we have now been forgiven. We have forgiveness of sins. The next part of verse 14 says this, even the forgiveness of sins. And I love that the Holy Spirit has had Paul to uh, write the word sin with an S on the end, making it plural, uh, making it clear that all of our sins have been forgiven because we have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ is the currency of that transaction through which we're bought back and, and released from the penalty of sin, but it's, it's a transaction that has been sufficient to cover all of our sins, all of our past sins, any sin that you might commit today, any of our future sins, uh, it's covered. We've been redeemed from the consequences of all, uh, each individual sin and all of them, all of them. Colossians 2 and verse 13, we'll get there eventually, says, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened, made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. And I love, you're in Colossians, so just take a look at that verse. Uh, we were dead in our sins, uh, but now he has quickened, he's made us alive together with him, having forgiven you, grammatically, all of us, all of our trespasses, all of our sins. Brother, I'm so thankful this morning for grammar in verses like that. Uh, all of us who come to Christ for forgiveness have been forgiven for all of our trespasses, all of our sins. That's something to rejoice about this morning. Uh, you have a lot to rejoice about this morning. Uh, each of these points, each of these benefits of our salvation is something uh, that we can and should rejoice in this morning. Uh, in 1 John 2 and verse 12, John writes, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. That comes back to something that we saw last weekend. Uh, yes, all of our sins are forgiven uh, uh, amongst all of us when we come to Christ, and that certainly has benefits to us. That's what we're looking at here this morning. But in the end, that is for his name's sake. Last Sunday morning in the first part of Ephesians, we looked at blessings that we know uh, that are ministered to us by the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. 
Those are blessings that we value as important to us, but the Lord's desire is that those blessings would cause us to give him praise and honor and glory. Uh, they're ultimately for his benefit. Well, these benefits that we're seeing this morning, uh, John says again in 1 John 2 and 12 that, that ultimately these things are for his name's sake. We benefit, but Christ is glorified in these benefits. Lord, help us to live for your glory and not for our glory. Father, help us to know, uh, help us to, to really focus on that truth. We're here for you. Yes, we are the beneficiaries of salvation, your plan of salvation that you ordained before the foundation of the world, before, the, before creation, but ultimately these benefits are for your glory. So we've seen five benefits here, and they're, they're wonderful, joyful things, uh, occasions for rejoicing this morning. Um, We've said it many times already, but, but Paul goes on and, and, and really kind of narrows down and, and, and reinforces or builds up from the truth that these things are all made possible by Christ. We've said that many times, numerous ways this morning, uh, but these things are all made possible by Christ. That's kind of main point number two this morning, so uh, get, an, get another main point down now. You had number one, uh, benefits, uh, number two, all made possible by Christ, and there are several points underneath this that Paul brings out to help us understand the nature, uh, the character, the actions of, of Christ our Savior. Uh, so number one, under, the, under big point two, these things are all made possible by Christ. Now here's some truths about Christ, okay? So number one, uh, he's called the image of the invisible God. This verse 15, number one, he's called the image, Christ is called the image of of the invisible God. Now, understand God is a spirit. Uh, understand God's a spirit. He, he's a spirit. Um, the Father, God the Father, does not apparently, uh, at least it's not been revealed to us, does not have a physical body. Jesus came as a man. He was incarnated as a man. Uh, prior to that, he did not have a physical body. In that sense, he's the image of the invisible God. I think that's at least part of the meaning of verse 15. Well, let's see verse 15. I got ahead of myself there. He says, uh, who, Christ, who is the image of the invisible God, uh, the firstborn of every creature. Now, we have to take care in how we handle this phrase, the firstborn. Christ is our creator, not a created one. Uh, yes, he, he came, he was born, but this term firstborn in reference to Christ, now, of course, it could refer to his incarnation, but more commonly and perhaps, perhaps always, don't hold me to that necessarily, but perhaps always, this term refers to the fact that he's firstborn from the dead. He's the first one who's been resurrected uh, from the dead, at least after his coming. You see this down in verse 18. Go there. Uh, do I have that right? Um, Yes, go, go look at verse 18 quickly. Speaking of Christ, he's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning. Now see this phrase, the firstborn from the dead. The firstborn from the dead. So when a phrase is not clear, when the meaning of it's not necessarily clear, we do well to keep reading and to allow the Bible to define its own terms. And uh, Sometimes if something is not clear initially, keep reading and allow the Bible to define it for us. Christ is the firstborn from the dead. 
He's the first one to be resurrected uh, since he was incarnated, since he came and died. He was the first one uh, who was raised from the dead. Remember, it's, it's his death, his burial, and his resurrection that is the gospel. Each of those things together constitute uh, the gospel message. So Christ is called the image of the invisible God, uh, and he's the firstborn. Number two, number two, these, these things are made possible by Christ. Uh, first, he's the image of the invisible God. Second, number two, he is the creator of all things. Uh, he is the creator of all things. Uh, he's, he's not the firstborn in the sense that he was created at any point. No, in fact, he is the creator of all things. Look at verse 16. For by him were all things created. Well, what things? All things. Things that are in heaven and things that are in earth uh, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. And just in case it's not clear, the Holy Spirit has Paul to say again, all things were created by him. All What things, Pastor? All things were created by Christ. There's nothing that is that was not created by him. Uh, someone asked me this week, did God create evil? Uh, did, did God bring evil into existence? My answer is no. Uh, God created uh, his angels uh, with free will, and God created men uh, with free will. We understand that, in, in a sense, Satan brought evil into uh, creation when he chose in his free will to rebel against God. Uh, and then he came and he tempted Eve and Adam uh, together, uh, and they chose to follow Satan into the evil of disobeying God. So, uh, no, God didn't create evil. Uh, he created people, uh, angels and people, uh, with free will, with, with that choice. Uh, God did create everything else, though. Uh, all things were created by him. Don't miss, please, the final three words of verse 16. I want to ask you to underline the final three words of verse 16. Go to the end, count back three. One, two, three. Him for and, and for him. Uh, he created all things uh, for him. Everything that is created is ultimately created for God. We've looked very often at Revelation 4 and verse 11. Uh, all things created by him for his pleasure is the idea of Revelation 4 and verse 11. I can't quote it for some reason this morning, but that's the, that's the gist, that's the, 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 the essence of that verse. Everything that has been created, uh, yes, there's a sense in which it's been created for us. God has given us dominion over his creation, but his grand higher purpose in all of that is, is for him. It's for his honor, it's for his glory, it's for his pleasure, uh, it's for his enjoyment. Uh, all things include us. We're for his pleasure, for his enjoyment, for his honor, for his glory. Uh, and so that underscores the importance of us being in the business of praising him and giving him honor and glory. When we recognize the blessings of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and these many benefits of salvation uh, and the glory of, of, of creation, uh, remember, it's ultimately for God's pleasure and enjoyment and for his glory. All things were created by him and for him. Verse 17 continues, and he is before all things, 
and by him all things consist. Now that word before in verse 17, it can mean prior to, or it can mean superior to. I think cl clearly here in context, it means prior to, the way we would use before today. One thing comes before another thing. Uh, 10 o'clock service comes before the 11 o'clock service. He is before, prior to all things. Uh, he has always existed. He is the creator of all things. Nothing else was before he did the creating uh, except for him. He has always been. Uh, that's beyond our understanding. That is beyond our comprehension. How could God always have been? Well, it's a fact that uh, the Bible reveals. It's not one that we can quite comprehend, and that's just fine. It helps us to appreciate the glorious nature of God. He is eternal in the past. He'll be eternal uh, in the future. And Paul adds here at the end of verse 17, and by him all things uh, consist. Let me share a couple of verses with you along these same lines. Back in Psalms in the Old Testament, uh, the psalmist writes in Psalm 102 and verse 25, uh, he's speaking to the Lord. He says, of old thou hast laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of thy hands. The Lord laid the foundations of the earth and course, that's the account that we see in Genesis 1. The heavens are the work of his hands, uh, the, the place where the birds fly, and the place where the sun, moon, and the stars are, and the place where the throne room of God, the first, second, and third heavens, they are the work of his hands. And, and we understand from uh, our passage this morning specifically the work of the hands of Christ. Uh, Hebrews 1 in the New Testament, Hebrews 1 in verse 1 says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these days, in these last days, forgive me, spoken to us by his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Again, the Bible consistently teaches that Christ not created. Yes, he was incarnated, uh, born of a virgin as a sign. But, he, but prior to that, he always existed and he is the creator of all things. Uh, this is the Christ who made all of the benefits of our salvation possible. This is his character. This is his nature. This is his power and authority. Well, to that point, uh, let's get that down as number three. Christ is our preeminent head. Uh, get that down, preeminent head, P-R-E-E-M-I-N-E-N-T. Uh, he is, he is uh, the head, the chief, the top of all things. Uh, he is creator. Uh, he, uh, he has ultimate authority. He has unlimited power. Uh, he is to be number one in our lives because he is number one in a very real sense. Verse 18 says this, and he is the head of the body, uh, the church. I do not believe there's an allusion here to a spiritual body. Uh, there is uh, a very real uh, allusion to, uh, not an allusion, uh, the church. Uh, the church, of course, the ecclesia in the Greek as a visible assembly of believers called out from the world for God's purposes. That's what a church is. Uh, the church is his body. We carry out his purposes 
uh, as his body, uh, the body of Christ in the world today. Whatever the church is, the body is. So that's important ecclesiology. We see both as being references to uh, the visible assembly or visible assemblies such as Long Hill Baptist Church. Well, with that said, back up to the beginning of verse 18, see this. He is the what? He's the head. Uh, he's the head. He's the, he's the ultimate authority. He's the ultimate power. Uh, he is number one. Uh, he's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. We've seen that. That or so that in all things, he might have the preeminence. So we need to understand this morning that Christ is number one uh, in every sense of the word. And therefore, we are called to make him or to recognize that he is uh, number one. He is to have top priority in our lives. Uh, he is the one who created us. He is the one who has always been. He is preeminent. We are called to make that truth practical in our lives, giving him first place in our lives, giving him top priority uh, in our lives. Uh, and, and listen, you understand that that needs to be carried out uh, in very practical ways. Uh, he needs to come first in our finances. Uh, we, need, we need to tithe first and then spend on ourselves and our, our living expenses what is left over after that. Uh, he needs to be number one in how we allocate our time. Yes, we have to work and there's family obligations and practical things that need to be accomplished at home, but everything else uh, all, all of those things are to be accomplished in time allocated after we give time to Christ first, time to worship, time to serve, uh, time, time for him at Sunday 10, 11, and 6, Wednesday at 7, time for him each day, each morning to be in his word, to be praying, to be serving throughout the week. Uh, this is what it means to make Christ preeminent, practically preeminent in our lives. When we do that, we're living according to his word. We're recognizing that, hey, what, he's, he is preeminent. He's number one uh, no matter what. You understand the idea. Number four, Christ is fully divine. So we've seen he's, the, he's called the image of the invisible God. He's, he's the creator of all things. He is our preeminent head. Number four, he is fully divine. He is no less God than God the Father or God the Holy Spirit. Uh, there is no uh, practical, well, there's, there's no practical hierarchy in terms of a hierarchy of degree of divinity. Uh, it's not that God the Father is more God than God the Son, and the Holy Spirit is less God than God the Son. I understand there's a voluntary hierarchy within the Godhead. Uh, Jesus came in obedience to the plan of the Father. I understand that. That said, that's a voluntary hierarchy that has a practical purpose. It does not reflect any uh, variation or hierarchy of essence, of, of divinity. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are equally God. They are equally divine. If there's any question about that, please see verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in him all fullness should all fullness dwell. Fullness is our Greek word pleroma, and much could be said uh, about this. Uh, one man writes, the thought likely is that in Jesus, all fullness of deity dwells. The fullness of the Godhead in him is manifested. 
He is the personification uh, of the perfect God. Uh, I would simply say he is perfectly 100% divine. Some are saying, yes, but he came as a man. I understand that. You do too. Uh, he came uh, as a man, and he was 100% man. Uh, at the same time, he remained 100% God. Uh, in seminary, they call that the hypostatic union of Christ. You don't have to remember that. Just remember that he always remained 100% God no matter what. He is fully divine. He's the image of the invisible God. He's creator of all things. He's our preeminent head. Uh, he's fully divine. Number five, he's the one through whom we are reconciled to the Father. Uh, he's the one and only one through whom we are reconciled to God the Father. I'm going to give you a couple more points. We're going to close. We'll pick this up again uh, next Sunday morning. Verse 20 says, And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him, to reconcile all things unto himself by him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in, in heaven. And you that were sometime or before alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. There's a very real sense in which we were enemies of God the Father before we were saved. Uh, we've already seen uh, we were, uh, we've been delivered from the power of darkness. Well, before we were saved, we were in the power of darkness. Uh, we were not in the light. We were in the dark. We were not uh, in, under the powerful hand of God. We were under the power of darkness. These are Bible truths that we've seen uh, just here this morning. Um, we were very much enemies of God before we were saved from the consequence of sin, uh, by repentant faith in Christ and his blood, the death, burial, and resurrection. We've been reconciled. We've been made right. Uh, we are no longer enemies. We've been reconciled to uh, God the Father. This reconciliation uh, to peace is made possible by the death of Christ. Uh, that's number six. He, Christ died to make this possible. Number six, Christ died to make this possible. Number, uh, verse 22, in the body of his flesh through death, in the body of his flesh uh, through death. And then get this as your last point for this morning. It didn't get quite as far as I hoped this morning, but, but get this as your final point. Uh, this reconciliation to the Father through his death, uh, it has great purpose. All of this has great purpose. Uh, we've seen the purpose of the Lord's glory uh, this morning, um, but there's, there's additional purpose for us that is seen here in the next part of verse 22. See this, to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. We'll be presented to God the Father by God the Son as people who occupy a position of holiness and unblameableness and unreprovableness in his sight. That is only possible because Christ our creator is also Christ our redeemer and Christ our savior, uh, Christ the one who is fully divine, who has reconciled us to the Father in and through his death and made it possible for him one day to present us to the Father as people who are holy 
in the eyes of God the Father. What an amazing purpose. What an amazing purpose. We have so much to be thankful for this morning. Even in a time of great difficulty, we have so much to rejoice in this morning, even in a time of great difficulty. Uh, so many benefits of our salvation, uh, all made possible by the Lord Jesus Christ, our Creator, our Redeemer, our Savior. I didn't get as far as I hoped this morning. We'll pick it up next Sunday. Look at Paul's response uh, to this, his ministry, and the power for his ministry. Let's stop there and pray. Father, thank you, Lord, this morning for these verses, these truths that you've seen fit to reveal to us so wonderfully. Lord, there's so many benefits that we know in Christ. Father, I consider the, the poverty of our lives practically and spiritually, uh, if not for Christ. Lord, thank you so much for pouring out your blessings and your benefits into our lives so, so abundantly and so graciously, so mercifully. Lord, I'm grateful this morning, and I'm thankful. Lord, I'm thankful. I pray this morning that these things have been an encouragement to us, that they lift our spirits, and Lord, cause us this morning to uh, praise you. Father, I, th I thank you and praise you this morning for these truths. Uh, Lord Jesus, I thank you and praise you this morning for your obedience to the plan for my salvation. Lord, we thank you this morning for our church where we have the, the purpose, the call, the privilege to teach and preach these truths for the encouragement and comfort of your people. Father, thank you. Lord, I love you. I pray that you be with us in the next hour. And Lord, that uh, your people will just continue to stay focused on you this morning. I love you. I thank you. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being with us.